0: Glad that you guys are here with us on campus and glad that you are joining in with us online. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Judges uh, chapter 17. As you turn there, I want to share something with you that I'm very excited about. I think it'll add to all of our Christmas seasons. Um, God burdened my heart uh, some time ago to to create, to come up with a, a Christmas devotional. Um, and, and so been praying about that for a while, kind of working through the details of that. And, and what we're going to do as a church is we're going to make available a, a special Christmas devotional starting on December 1st and running through Christmas Day, December 25th, all right? And here's what it's going to look like. It's going to be written by Willow Ridge family, all right? Some of us are staff. some of us are not, um, and everybody has a passage of Scripture that in some way, shape, or form connects to the Christmas story, the Christmas season, and so they will be writing in through their own personality and their gifts, what what, what God calls them and challenges them to write, and then what we will do is every single day from December 1st until December 25th is we will make that available for you. Now, here's how. We're we're going to do that. The, the The easiest way probably for most of us is it'll be on Facebook. And so if you're following us or, or liked us or, or whatever it is with the Willow Ridge Church Facebook page, you'll be able to get those through that. But another way and probably a more efficient way of getting it every single day is, is Dave is going to be sending that out in a daily email. And so if you've already getting the church emails, then you'll get that daily devotional every single day. If you currently do not get the church emails, write two things. Number one, if you don't get it, uh, uh, check your your junk folder, because a lot of times that's where ours goes, unfortunately, right through the filtering system that they have. Check there. But if you're not getting them, email Pastor Dave at david.allen at willowridgechurch.org, and he will get you taken care of so that you can join us and, and be a part of that. And and I'm excited uh, to see uh, what God is going to share and how God is going to use men and women of this church to just kind of remind us why we celebrate Christmas, but not just Christmas, but every day of our life. And so I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to that. Now, before we get into our Christmas series in, in two weeks, we're going to wrap up over the next couple weeks, we're going to wrap up Judges. Now, I, I want to kind of explain to you because Judges, as it's as it's written, can, can feel broken, all right? And, and so what happens, what I mean by that is, is Judges chapter 1 and Judges chapter 2 are, are a double introduction. So the same thing is said twice in different ways, right? Because they know that we need that to get it, right? So Judges 1, Judges 2, the same thing written in a double form so that we can get the introduction of what's happening and then judges 3 through judges 16 tells the story of the judges and and as you were reading this with us like you knew you know what that looks like like some people like Samson right like we got a lot about Samson we got a lot of information about the details of his life and then other judges it would just be a, a very quick snippet of them saying something like and and this judge ruled over Israel for x amount of years and That's what we would see. But what we're coming to starting in chapter 17 of Judges is a different kind of journey, okay? So from chapter three to chapter 16, it was written in chronological order. So this judge was after this judge, was after this judge, and that's what we see. But Judges 17 through through the end of it is is, is not going to be that way. And what it's going to help us kind of dig into is every single time we, we met a new judge, right? We we get those verses, and Israel did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. And we could speak to general instances of what that looked like. So we, we talked about idolatry and rebellion and what that begins to look like as, as God's people abandon their faith to pursue other things. But there's not necessarily, outside of the life of, of the particular judge, a whole lot of stories that help explain what that looks like in Israel. Like, how does that practically play out? So, so starting in chapter 17, what we are going to see is the individuals in Israel— their sin, their sin pattern, and what that looks like, so that we can get some more clarity to what does it mean that they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And, and what we're going to see from this is we're going to see kind of a, a theme that, that, is, that is arched. I feel like it, it culminated a lot in the life of Samson, is, is this concept of Israel and, and compromise. That that's what we find, that time and time again, God's people, in spite of knowing God's standard for them, God's people, in spite of knowing who God is, they compromised and they compromised and they compromised. And when they compromised short of God's standard, that's the sin that they commit. And so we're going to get to see what some of that looks like in Israel, but again like we don't want to just cast the stones at Israel from our 2020 perspective and think, man, we're not that bad, we've got it all figured out, because what we'll find is the same dysfunction of the sin of their heart, right? That's the same dysfunction of the sin of the heart that, that you and I, that we wrestle with, that that, that we battle with, and, and it's going to come out of this notion of, of compromise. And, and that's hard for us, right? Because compromise is is generally a positive thing. Like like my wife is is here in in this service with us this morning and and, and what I've learned in in a marriage, right? What I've learned in parenting, right? Is that we work toward compromise. I've got my perspective, she's got her perspective. We come at this and then we compromise for, for the path going forward of what's best for our family. And so what we can see oftentimes in our spiritual walk is that we approach God the exact same way right? Well, God, I've got my perspective. God, I've got my standard. But our perspective in light of the grace of God of who he is, our standard in light of the same, we have to understand that ours is broken. That, that every part of who we are in creation is, is broken. That the only that's not broken is the creator. So anytime we bring compromise into this with the Lord, right, we are in sin, and this is what we, what we see with Israel. So let's jump right in, chapter 17, verse 1. It says, There was a man of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, The 1,100 pieces of silver that were taken from you about which you uttered a curse and also spoke it into my ears. Behold, the silver is with me. I took it. All right, so here's what we're going we're gonna to be introduced to this guy named Micah and his mom. And they are going to consist of an extremely dysfunctional relationship a dysfunctional family. And, and, and what they're going to tiptoe in a, a little bit is kind of a, a common practices of worshiping the Lord, but they're going to allow compromise to invade within there. And in these first really two and a half verses, we begin to see this, right? So here's what happened. Micah stole from his mom. He stole 1,100 pieces of silver, Now, you can do the math later on. Micah's going to offer a guy a job, and his yearly salary is going to be 10 pieces of silver, right? So Micah stole a lot of money. Now, he hears his mom placing a curse on whoever stole the money from her. Now, number two, right? Like, that's not biblical. Like, we as Christians don't do that, all right? So 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 here you see you see theft come in, you hear mom placing a curse, but kind of maybe in, in a good fear. He's like, I know what kind of crazy my mom can call down on me, right? She's placing this curse. I better come and confess and bring the money back to her. And so and, and continue on in verse two. And his mother said, Blessed be my son by the Lord. And he restored the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I dedicated the silver to the Lord from my hand for my son to make a carved image and a metal image. Now, therefore, I will restore it to you. So when he restored the money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith who made it into a carved image and a metal image, and it was in the house of Micah. So the sinful pattern of the family is going to continue, right? Mom, son comes to mom, confesses, mom revokes her her, her curse, right, and instead begins to pray to God and says, hey, hey, bless him now. All right, now that he's come clean, now that he's brought this, bless him in this. And then she takes the 1,100 pieces of silver and says, God, I dedicate them to you, but here's how I'm going to dedicate them to you I'm going to dedicate them to you by violating your standard for my life. And so she takes the 1,100 and says, I give them all to you, but then puts 900 of them away and takes 200 pieces and gives them to a silversmith and says, hey, make a graven image for me. This is how I'm going to honor God. I'm going to create an idol. And so verse five, and the man Micah had a shrine, and he made an ephod and household gods and ordained one of his sons who became his priest. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So Micah takes this statue, this idol that she's made of God, and he makes a shrine to it. And then he brings in other gods. And then he goes to one of his sons, and says, look, I know you're not in the lineage of what God has chosen to be a priest, but I'm going to ordain you to be our family religion priest of what we have. So we've got our, 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 our sinful shrine to God. Right. They created an image of God to contain him in that, we're gonna get this to a second, to bow down and worship him through this. And then we are going to bring other gods that were here and we're gonna place them in this as well. And verse six says, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And this is this man, Micah, and his mom. Look at verse seven. Now there was a young man of Bethlehem in Judah of the family of Judah who was a Levite. And he sojourned there, and the man departed from the town of Bethlehem in Judah to sojourn where he could find a place. And after he journeyed, uh, he came to the hill country of Ephraim to the house of Micah. And Micah said to him, where do you come from? And he said to him, I am a Levite of Bethlehem in Judah, and I'm going to sojourn where I can find a place. And Micah said to him, Stay with me to be a father and a priest and I will give you ten pieces of silver a year and a suit of clothes and your living. And the Levite went in. And the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man became like one of his sons. And Micah ordained the Levite, and the young man became his priest and was in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, now I know the Lord will prosper me because I have a Levite as a priest. So we're going to talk a lot about the priest in kind of the second half of this message. But, but here's what's, what's going on. Now, this priest, he's a Levite, which means he's called by God to be a priest. And within that, God gives some expectations and, and standards of, of where they are to be a priest. And you're supposed to stay in your hometown. And so he shares, right, that he has left his hometown, that he is seeking to be a priest. He is looking somewhere else to to stay. And so Micah sees this. Micah realizes, hey, I can give some credibility to my little family religion that we have going on here. So, hey, buddy, if I give you some money— If I give you some clothes, if I give you a place to stay and food to eat, can you now come no longer be God's priest, but you're now my priest? And he's like, sure. And this is the story of compromise. This is what it looks like when when men and women of God begin to, to wander away from God and God's standard for their life. And what we find in this, in this whole concept of, of creating God and making these images and bow down to them, what we see here are people filtering God. Now, I want to explain what, what I mean by, by filtering God. Over uh, this past year, actually for the last maybe two or three years, Aaron and I have kind of taken on, on a hobby uh, between the two, for the two of us to do together, and, and we garden in, in our backyard. Um, we, we do uh, spring, summer, fall, and winter all year long. There's something growing. Like, we got a bunch going on right now. We got lemon and, and collard greens and, and a ton of stuff that's going on in the garden. But kind of like my thing that I like to grow is I like to grow peppers, I like to grow hot peppers, and I like to make hot sauce out of them. And I've been making all different kinds of of hot sauce. And and the last batch that I made was some ghost pepper hot sauce. So so here's what I did. I I took this big jar that we had, and I had two ghost pepper plants. And every time that a ghost pepper would come off of the plant— now, I had to wear gloves because even to to take them off and and get them near my hands would cause my hands to burn— And so I'd take them and I would put them in a jar and I would add vinegar and salt and seasoning to them and I'd let them stay in that jar and let them build until the jar was was full. And then with a mask and goggles on, right, outdoors, I boiled them, broke them down. And then continued outdoors and I, 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 I brought a food processor out, processor out there and I blended them up and I poured them back into the jar and I put them into the refrigerator where they sat for approximately six weeks. Just fermenting and getting all the seasoning and, and all the heat out of it. And then a few days ago, I opened it for the first time. And the smell of the heat in the jar, about knocked me out, right? So I called a neighbor down. I'm like, hey man, will you taste this? He loves hot sauce. He was like, absolutely, nothing bothers me. He touched it to his tongue. Immediately he needed milk, right? I had to get this taken care of. But not just with the ghost pepper, but with any hot sauce, here's what you do. The very last thing that you do, before you put it in the bottle, you filter it. You filter it. And whether it's jalapenos, whether it's Tabascos, whether it's habaneros, whether it's Carolina Reapers or, or ghost peppers, right, when you're making hot sauce, what you do is you run it through a filter, and you do it over and over again, and each time you're, you're tasting it. And what's left in the filter, you throw away, because you don't need it anymore. And you keep filtering the hot sauce until you get the color, the consistency, and the taste that you want. And once you've decided this is what I want, then your hot sauce is ready. Ready to be eaten, given away, whatever you want to do. You've now done what you want to do. When it comes to filtering God, this is what we do with God. We take God and we run him through a filter of what we've determined so that we can eliminate all of the things that we don't like that we disagree with, that make us uncomfortable, that we don't understand or that we don't know about. And we take all of these things that were there and we cast them to the side until what we have is contained in a nice pretty package, the image of God that we want. And so when when Micah and his mom When they make this idol, this is exactly what they are doing. I read a story that it was customary during the time of the Israelites for for them during a season of of crops. What they would do is they would make an idol of the crop that they wanted to grow, and they would place it down before them, and they would address—so let's say it's corn. So they'd have a statue of, of corn that was there, and then they would address it like the corn was the Lord. Because for them, what benefited them was for the corn to grow. And so time and time again, they would say, this is not what I need. This is what I want. So this is what I will form God to be like. When we read the second commandment, when it says, you shall not make a graven image into worship. God's not just talking about the little gods of other religions. He's saying, even when it's me, do not make an image out of me that you can try to use to control and manipulate because you and I, I don't care how artistic we are, we cannot take the full capacity of God and place it into a physical image. And when we do that, what we're doing is trying to control, to use, and to manipulate God. So the question I have for us this morning is, do we do this? Do we do this? And on the surface, no. Right, like, that's crazy. Like no one walks into anyone's house and they're like, oh, by the way, you haven't been here before. Here's my dining room. Here's my living room. Here's our idol of Jesus. Right, like we don't do that, right? But practically speaking, we do practically speaking, in our hearts, in a spiritual sense, we filter God out of who he fully is so that we can embrace the parts that we like and say, this is my God. And so what we are doing is not only do we say my God, but we say my standard. My God must fit my standard. My God must fit my expectation. And in that, We are no different than Micah and his mom that we see here in chapter 17. So what does this begin to look like? You and I, spiritually speaking, we we want to pick and choose the attributes of God that we like and that we're comfortable with, and so we focus on those. This was probably about nine years ago, ten years ago, serving at at a different church, And I'm walking out of our worship service, and we had a worship leader named Mark there, and Mark had just got done leading a song to to close out the service, and and it talked about the wrath of God in the song. And I'm standing there, and and we've got kind of a foyer area like like we have here, and and I see someone, um, I think you guys know what this feels like when they're taking that aggressive walk towards you, right? Like you're like, yep, we're about to have one of those really fun conversations, you know? It's like... You're kind of looking around like you're looking for them. And they're like, uh-uh, I'm coming right at you, right? So she comes she walking up to me. And she said, I don't think we should do that last song ever again. I said, cool. Why? Tell me, tell me why. I'm, I'm curious. And she said, you know, it talked about the wrath of God. And while I know that that's in the Bible, it's not an attribute of God that I'm comfortable with and so I don't think we should sing about it. Okay, well, no, we're not going to do that, and you're wrong. And we had a conversation about it. In one of my classes for, for school over the last four weeks, It's we've been talking about end times revelation and the wrath of God for the last four weeks hours of this professor who, who knows way, way more than, than I know, walking through every verse, every word in Revelation as we talk about end times, and he spent four weeks talking about the wrath of God. And, and, and I want to be honest with you, like sitting there for hours and listening to it, at some points in times, it's just like, I just want to bang my head. Can we move on to something else, right? It, it kind of feels like at the end of it, there's this Debbie Downer kind of moment for us. And then last week, or two weeks ago, he said something very interesting. And it caused me to write this down, because this isn't something that we're going to be tested on, it's just a perspective of us as believers. And here's what he said, you cannot understand the love of God without the wrath of God. Because when you understand the wrath of God, then you understand what you deserve and how much God loves you. You see, without the wrath of God, without something we're uncomfortable with, that we don't like, that's like, I don't know about that, I never understand the love that God has for me. Because without the wrath of God, I don't know about the condition that I'm in. Without the wrath of God, I don't know what Jesus came to save me from. Without the wrath of God, there's this partial peace. But I can understand the love of God because not only did Jesus save me from the wrath of God, Jesus took on the wrath of God in my place right? My punishment wasn't thrown away. My punishment was poured out on him. So without understanding the wrath of God, I can never understand the love of God. So we can't filter him out. We can't throw away the parts that we don't like. We also we want to revise God. We want to revise him. We want to use phrases and we hear him all the time. Well, I'm a Christian. I know what the Bible says, but I don't know. I just don't believe in a God like that. You know, I know this is how God is, but I don't want to think of him that way. I just want to think of him this way. And in that, we try to filter God out. We try to take God and and shape God to fit our, our season of time and our culture. And that's something that I think every generation picks on the current generation and says, look at what you do as you try to mold God into a 2020 form. But the truth is they did that in 1920 and 1820 and 1720 and 1620 and every generation before. And it's why when Jesus came in those early moments in Jerusalem that so many who should have been looking for the Messiah, they looked at him and said, it can't be you. Because you don't fit the form of what we're looking for. You see, when we we begin to filter God out, when we begin to remove the parts that we don't like, we miss the heart of who God is. And what we do in that is we reveal who we really are, we reveal our nature, our worship. So when we try to control him, when we try to shape him, when we try to conform it, what we see, what you and I reveal in that moment is what our true heart worship is. Because it's not about worshiping him for who he is, it's about worshiping him for who we can manipulate and who we can cause and who we can create him to be in that moment, like my hot sauce captured in a jar that I can control Everything about it. And that's what God begins for us. And Micah reveals this aspect of himself. I want you to look back at chapter 17, verse verse 13. Then Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will prosper me because I have a Levite as a priest. What did Micah struggle with from the beginning? Greed. Greed. He stole from his mom his mom. And it wasn't a wrestle of conscience. It wasn't a wrestle of morality. It was out of fear of the curse that she could put on him that he came clean. And what do we see here? His true heart worship that now, that now God will prosper him because now he has a priest for himself. Micah's not seeking to glorify God. Instead, he's seeking to glorify himself. And what we see in in the heart of Micah, what we see in the heart of the priest that we're going to look at in just a second is this sin that honestly you and I face and you and I battle as well. And it's the sin of self-interest. The sin of self-interest that you and I, when it boils down to it, we have a tendency to look out for number one, that you and I have a tendency to look out for ourselves first and foremost. And so what drives us is how does this affect me? Now here's how this is difficult for us. We get this in two different ways. Number one, it's ingrained within our culture. It is in your career, in school, in every aspect of our life. We may cover it with other words, but at the core value, what we make so many decisions on is how does this affect you, and you need to choose what will best affect you. But also from the very beginning, it's the bent of the sinful heart. I'm looking out for me. I'm looking out for what I want. From the very beginning of even Eve and Adam in the garden, what did Satan appeal to? What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? And then when God confronts them, what does Adam reveal? Nah, it's her and it's you, right? The self-interest. So I want to give some warning signs of the sins of self-interest for our life that we see in this passage of scripture N- number one sin of self-interest oftentimes is financially based financially based and're and, and we're going we're to pick on the priest for, for this section everybody in this is going to follow in this but we're going to look primarily at the priest in, in judges 1710 In Micah's encounter with him, he said to him, Stay with me and be to me a father and a priest. And I will give you ten pieces of silver a year and a suit of clothes and your living. And the Levite went in. Right, So Micah comes to him. Obviously, this is an impressive house that they have to access to them this many years wages. This is a wealthy family. The Levite sees it, he's drawn toward it. Micah says, you want some of this? Then here's what I'm gonna give you, 10 pieces of silver. I'm gonna take care of your money. I'm gonna take care of your clothes. I'm gonna take care of your food. I'm gonna take care of your housing, everything that you do. And so Micah gives this to him. And very simply, in the weakness of the priest, the scripture just says, and he went in. And he went in. He didn't ponder it. He didn't wrestle with it. It was financially a no-brainer for him. Sure. And he walks right in, staying with Micah went against his calling. It went against God's word. It had been everything that he would have been taught from a child as a child, but he did not care because it financially benefited him. Now, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but in in verse 18, there's going to be more of this that comes out in the priest. The, the, the tribe of Dan uh, is going to encounter him, and when the tribe of Dan uh, meets him, they're an Israelite tribe, when they meet him, they are looking for some land to call their own. Now, if you remember all the way back to Judges 1, I believe verse 34, it tells us the reason why they're looking for land is because they disobeyed God. And so God would not give them what they wanted, so instead they are walking around trying to find this land that they can take. And they see off in the distance Micah and his great, glorious house of worship, and they're drawn to it. And so they go there, and they meet the priest, and they see all that is going and all that is happening, and they say to the priest, we cannot find our land of what we have. Can you find the land? Can you cry out to God for us? Is this going to be blessed by him? And what we see in the priest, in the sin of self-interest, he's not God-minded first. He's people-minded. He's people-minded. Oh, I've got this moment. I've got this tribe of people who are coming. They know what they want. I better watch what I say. I can't cling to truth, or maybe he's drifted so far from it that he's forgotten what it is to begin with. And look at what the priest said to him. Verse 6 of chapter 18 He says, go in peace. The journey on which you go is under the eye of the Lord. They say, will you pray for us? No need. God's with you. Go, because that's what you really want to hear. And when we're living in the sin of being of self-interest, what we become is not God-minded, but we become people-minded. And so they go. They go feeling and being told that what they're doing is right in the eyes of God. And so they find some land and they want to take it. But before they do that, they get more men and more weapons. And they set back out to take the land. And they come by Micah's house again. And they think to themselves, you know, before we go into the land, before we take this to ourselves, I know that we've rebelled against God. What we really need more than anything else is that idol that's in there. Is that idol that's in there. So they go and they take it. And on their way out, the priest comes running out. And he stops them. And he says, no, 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 you can't take that. That's not yours. But he begins to fall into another pattern, which is the sin of the next best thing. The sin of the next best thing. Look at verse 19. And they said to him, Keep quiet, put your hand on your mouth and come with us and be to us a father and a priest. Is it better for you to be a priest to the house of one man or to be priest to a tribe and clan in Israel? And the priest's heart was glad. He took the ephod and the household gods and the carved image and went along with the people. It's the next best thing. Don't take that, oh, you want me to come with you? Don't take that, oh, I cannot just be a priest to a family, but I can be the priest for a tribe. Look what this does for me. And he gets farther and farther away from what God had for him. You see, the sin of self-interest takes us down a path. And we're going to see a breaking point here for Micah. We're going to see a moment of reality where he begins to see and understand that this religion that he's created has fallen apart. Verse 22, when they had gone a distance from the home of Micah, the men who were in the houses near Micah's house were called out, and they overtook the people of Dan, and they shouted to the people of Dan, who turned around and said to Micah, what is the matter with you that you come with such company? And he said, you take my gods that I made and the priest, and go away, and what have I left? How then do you ask me what is the matter with you? And the people of Dan said to him, do not let your voice be heard among us. Lest angry fellows fall upon you and you use, lose your life with the lives of your household. Then the people of Dan went away. And when Micah saw that they were too strong for him, he turned and went back to his home. And I can imagine that as Micah saw them going off, as they disappeared into the distance, what he saw was the religion that he created. The picture of God that he wanted was fading quickly. In the end, Micah's life, Micah's self-made religion had failed him. He had put his faith in an idol that he had placed in his home and with a priest that he had called and that he had created. And in this, it always fails. Church, I need us to understand this. The part of the fall the part of sin and depravity that affects so that affects all of us is this everything that is created will fail that's what death is at some point in time My body will fail me and fail my wife and fail my son, and I'll breathe my last breath and my heart will stop beating and I'll be done. One day, this building will cease to exist as it's been created by human hands to do a godly work, but it is created. And when you and I, when we take these images of what we want God to be and we force them into something, what we see is a created thing that... will fail it will fall apart and there's one that won't and it's not the created it's the creator it's the creator that can't be captured that can't be bottled that can't be contained and so it fades quickly and so the people of dan they create a temple they put the priest over all of it. And look at verse 31. So they set up Micah's carved image that he made as long as the house of God was at Shiloh. So why does this matter? What is verse 31? Especially that last part. So yeah, so they set up the temple. They had Micah's carved image in there. But what does this mean? As long as the house of God was at Shiloh. Because here's the deal. The presence of God was there for them. The presence of God had not abandoned them. The presence of God was there for them, just like it was for all of Israel. But they didn't want the presence of God. Micah didn't want it. The priest didn't want it. The people of Dan, they didn't want it. And so instead of seeking after who he is, they sought to create it for himself. And as we close within this, I want us to talk about the tabernacle. You can see for for Israel, the presence of God was not to be found in your home in a statue. The presence of God was not to be found in some offshoot religious practices that you just decided to come and adapt for yourself. The presence of God was not supposed to be found in you going out and finding your own priest and having him here. The presence of God was where God said he would be, which was in the tabernacle. And so when you would go to worship him, and this doesn't mean that God was contained because we've seen even from Samson last week that it said the spirit of God was with him. But when it came to your interaction with him, In my interaction with him we would not set our eyes on anything else but we would set our eyes on the tabernacle and God was there with them and this is where they could go for them but in order for that to happen they had to remove their eyes from what they had set in place and they had to focus instead on who God is and that he was there for him you know, this time of the year, or maybe after Thanksgiving, right, we truly hit into this time of year of Christmas, there's a lot of catchphrases that we use. Centered around and based in the thought of God with us. It's what we celebrate. We'll, we'll, we'll see songs about it. We'll, we'll talk about the fact of divinity taking on flesh, God in flesh, in the form of a child that will be here with us, that will come to save us. In John chapter 1, John talks about this. And, and, and I want to read to you John 1.14, a verse many of you have heard before. John writes and he says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And I want to talk about this word dwelt. Because in, we, we, we have translations to help us understand. And you and I know that dwelt means that, that he came in and that he lived here. But to get an accurate translation for us to understand what this means is this, and the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. That he tabernacled That God's very presence of who he is was not to be sought in a a religious pursuit. That it was not to be sought in a temple. But that when, when John tells us that God tabernacled among us, what that means is for you and I to see for you and I to understand, for you and I to draw close to the very presence of God. It is not found in any of these things, but it is found in Jesus and in Jesus alone. And so the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. The very presence of God, the divinity of God found in a man free of sin, Jesus, but that man is the reason when we talk about the hope that we have, because he did, he dwelt among us, he tabernacled among us so that he could grow older and stand in the wrath of God to take your place and mine. And then he would ascend to heaven. And the process of the tabernacle wouldn't end. Because see now he would send his spirit. So that he no longer tabernacles among us. But he tabernacles with us. So that you and I right now in this moment. We live in the very presence of God. Don't try to filter it. Don't try to filter him. Don't try to manipulate. Don't try to take out and discard what we don't understand, what we can't comprehend, what we don't like that doesn't appeal to us. Instead, set your eyes on him and him alone. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for this story. Lord, we, we look at it and we see the brokenness that's found. We see the dysfunction that's found in the home, the pattern of sin in the lives of the individuals who were there. But Lord, remind us of the redemptive hope that we have. Because while this has taken place, Lord, you... We're still there Lord we find our lives at a different journeys, different phases Lord it's easy to cast our stones toward the, the Micahs of the world who, who blatantly do these things Lord but if we're honest with you and honest in ourselves Lord we've, we've cast aside the aspects of you we don't like for years Lord, in our attempt to control as creation tries to take over the creator. So, Lord, this morning as we wrap up this service, Lord, is my prayer for each one of us that we look at our life And we ask the question, where has compromise invaded? Where have we said that my faith is my God and my standard? And that we would leave here broken for our sin and filled with the hope that you give us found in redemption and grace and life and meaning Jesus thank you for your love for us in your name we pray amen where has compromised consumed you Your compromise may have been logical. It may have been beneficial. It may have been recommended and encouraged. But where have you compromised? Know that when we walk out of here this morning, because the grace of God, we don't have to live in the failure of our sin and our compromise, but we can walk out of here glory of God, embraced in His forgiveness, receiving His grace, and living in His truth. Would you stand as we worship Him? Thanks again for listening to the Willow Ridge Church weekly podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this week's message. If you'd like to learn more about who we are or explore additional resources, visit us online at www.willowridgechurch.com or by searching for Willow Ridge Church on Facebook and Instagram.